Welcome to Between the Shelves. I am your host, Alex, and I'm very excited about this week's episode because I have two new faces joining us in the studio. Uh, this week, I'm joined by teen librarian, Angela. Welcome. Hi. Hi. And our tech services um, librarian-to-be, Jillian. Yes. Hi. Hi, Welcome. everybody. <laughs> Thank you both for being here. So uh, the reason I invited you both to be here today is I thought we could talk about um, what it's what is entailed in becoming a librarian and kind of get your perspectives on your journey to be to becoming a librarian and why you chose to do that and and all that good stuff so let's get started i mean why did you why did you want to be a librarian sure i'll start um the library for me has always been such a magical place it's like my safe safe place no matter what was going on in my life I always felt that the library was like my, my home base um, I feel like I could just spend hours there getting lost in books and so it was something that was always uh, such a safe space for me and um, <clears throat> I actually went for uh, for teaching and and then I had decided to change careers and there was always a reason why I felt like I couldn't be a librarian like I always felt like I had excuses and I was actually in the Port Jeff library and I was talking to um, one of the librarians there and, and I said I've always wanted to be a librarian I've always wanted to be a librarian and he said so why don't you and at that point in my life I, I didn't have any more excuses my kids were a little bit older and I was at the time in my life where I could go back to school and I said I, I don't know why I'm not doing this and I guess I was very um, intimidated by the amount of school that you would have to do and mm-hmm. um, you know having already gone for a master's like can I do this at this point in my life um, but I decided to just just go for it and um, and so I am immediately went to other librarians that I knew and trusted uh, over at ConnectQuad and, and some people at, uh, at Sable and just kind of to pick their brain, talk to them, talked about their journey, where they went to school, any advice. Um, and, uh, and that's, I, I started and I started uh, last spring, I hit the ground running and uh, I started last, uh, last May and I haven't looked back ever since I should be finished by December. So Wow, you really yeah. hit the ground running. Yeah, I really hit the ground running. I was Every semester I could, I took classes because I was just, once I got started and there was nothing standing in my way, uh, I just uh, I just let it take its course and I'm very passionate about it and I just want to get it done as quick as possible. So, Yeah, how about you, Angela? Um, so I was a patron here in the old building, actually. Um, I grew up going to the library all the time, missed Donna's classes all the time. Um, and I kind of stopped when I was a teenager, but then my neighbor worked at the library, the local library, table library, and I decided to apply to become a page. And she was able to um, kind of put in a good word for to Donna for me, and then I was able to start here when I was sixteen. It was sadly Joanne who passed away a few years ago, um, but yeah. So I've been working here for eight years now. I was a children's page for four years and then I was a teen clerk for two and a half years I think and now I'm a teen librarian trainee so that's the trainee position is that I'm still in school so I will most likely graduate next year so next May I will be graduating and yeah same thing with Jill I love the library I always loved coming back um, when I was little and then when I started working here I was like oh I actually would really like to do this as a career. And I was kind of back and forth when I was in college. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. It was kind of always in the back of my mind, becoming a librarian. I wasn't sure if I wanted to pursue a different um, area, like business or something like that, because my 
um, my undergraduate degree is human relations. So to become a librarian, you can have any undergraduate. You just have to have a graduate degree. Um, so I took a semester off after I graduated and I started working at Adelphi College and in their library. And I was like, why, am I, why aren't I in school? So I, was, <laughs> I decided to go back to school. Similar, similar situation. Like, like, why am I not doing this? Like, what? Yeah, I I had a similar experience to you, Jillian. Where I, I always loved libraries. They're like a place I gravitated towards my whole life, but I never thought of it as a career. I don't know why. Just a librarian never felt like a real, not not attainable. But it just, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It never crossed my mind to be a job until I met a librarian and actually talked with them and they're like no it's a real job and this is what you have to do so so yeah and then it dawned on me and then once that clicked I was just like you like full speed ahead signed up for grad school never looked back and uh yeah best job I've ever had um yeah that's funny so Angela is this your this is you've only you've had other jobs Uh, yes but you started at 16 (laughs) at Save a Library and I've been here now in August it's gonna be eight years wow um, so yeah, I didn't expect to still be here eight years later, but here I am and I love my job. Um, yeah, I've had other jobs. I worked at a law office. I worked at my college. I worked at Adelphi College and I have another job right now. Um, so I've been part-time for my, all my eight years, but yeah, this is the job I love the most. <laughs> I love hearing about the journeys people take to deciding to become a librarian because there are so many paths that lead to the library. Like every librarian I've met has a different degree and a different Absolutely. work experience. You know, I, I, I've I done, I was a cook for many years. I've talked about this on previous episodes, so I apologize. I'm repeating uh, yes, myself, but okay. I have done everything under the sun. And I ended up in a library and I'm sitting next to somebody who has uh, a master's degree in uh, anthropology. And, you know, it's just fascinating that all the different experiences that can that make up the library staff, which is great. You have to have a well-rounded experience. Absolutely. I think there's one thing that we all have in common is that we all have that passion for learning. Uh You know, we all love to learn. And I think that it's just like such a natural progression to want to instill that in in everybody, share our love of knowledge and our love of information. So Lifelong learning. Absolutely. I actually was a teacher previously. I have my undergrad in education, elementary, and um, my first master's was in literacy. So for me, it was kind of like when I was making the decision to go for a library, I was like, I don't know why I didn't think of this sooner. You know, that was my one regret is that I wish I had thought of it sooner um, because it's such a natural choice for me to be, you know, in this library. But, um, But yeah, now I'm here. Yeah. I actually, my undergrad is in business as well. Oh, really? Yeah. So that was funny. I didn't know that about you. Yeah. Small business management is what I think my, I did, I didn't know what I wanted to be either when I went to undergrad. I was kind of just like, all right, this is the next thing you do after high school. Mm -hmm. And I bounced around. I did computer engineering. I did computer science. I did graphic design. And I finally settled with a small business management. I think that was just the quickest route to getting out of school at that point for me. Um, which is why that's what I ended up with. But um, yeah, it's funny that. Yeah, I really didn't know what I wanted to do during undergrad. I was like, yeah, I guess I'll be a children's librarian. And then once my last year, I was like, no, I don't think so. And then I started applying to jobs, like business jobs, and I was not getting any responses for like two months. And so then I did finally hear back from the college, um, the Delphi College, and I was able to start 
in their library. And I was considering becoming um, a college level librarian, but you have to have two degrees, two master's degrees for that. So you have to have a librarian master's degree and then a specialized degree. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't think I want to get two graduate degrees. <laughs> That's a lot of work. Um, it's expensive. Too. And expensive, yes. very yes. expensive. A very lot expensive. of time <laughs> consuming too. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, sorry. Did you no, have... no, no. So, yeah, I just decided to apply in, what was it, um, January 2021. So I've been in school for the past year and a half. Yeah. So where are you going to school? Did you say uh, you're to your library school? I'm going to Queens College. Queens College? Yes. And... Yeah, I'm actually at the University of uh, Wisconsin at Milwaukee. And um, that was something that I, I wasn't really sure as to where to go to pursue the degree. And that was something that I had spoken to other local librarians as to where they had gone. They had uh, very positive experiences. They were able to do asynchronous. That was something that was very important for me because I do have young children and I wanted to be able to have flexibility in my schedule. And so um, I like the ability to be able to kind of make it on my my terms and still do the coursework and participate as needed. So um, again, took any, any of the hurdles that could be those obstacles out of the way for me to make it possible for me to get this degree. I also did online my grad school online. Um, when I initially enrolled in uh, grad school, I was living in Rhode Island, and the next closest uh, school that offered a library science master's degree was in Boston, which was two hours away. So it was not going to do a two-hour commute with a full-time job. So so yeah, so online was what I was left with, but uh, I found an asynchronous program. I went to uh, Simmons University in Boston. Oh, I looked into that. Yeah. I have nothing bad to say about Simmons. Um, as a matter of fun fact, I actually graduated with Jen, our director's son. Oh, that's funny. So Jen was at my graduation. <laughs> we didn't, this was way, way years, years oh, before sorry. I even applied it to Sayville. No, she pointed you out. And yeah, yeah she, I something I about yes. that one. <laughs> I want him yeah. <laughs> on our staff. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I had a great experience with my online degree. I, I I loved the asynchronous nature. I, I would wake up. I'm an early riser, so I'd wake up, open up my laptop, drink my coffee, do some schoolwork, and uh, you know, then go to work, come home, do a little bit more. So I don't know. It worked with my my schedule. Absolutely. The wow. the one regret that I have for doing it is that. Um, so when I first had gone for my degree, I wasn't quite sure as to where I wanted to be placed. If I was going to go and pursue a degree as a public librarian children's. I knew I wanted to work with the children's population, the younger, um, or if I wanted to pursue school. Um, In my situation, um, because I happen to have the prior degrees in education, um, I wanted to pursue that degree as a school. Um, But by the time I had made that decision, I was already enrolled in, in the school and I was already in the program and loved it and I went for it. That being said, um, because it's an out-of-state program, because it's in Wisconsin, um, you have to be very savvy to know the requirements of the New York State education and what you need to do to get your certification. Um, There are some things that are similar, but there are some things that you have to be on top of. And in hindsight, I perhaps would have chosen a school in New York for my degree um, had I known I was going to specify as school media just something that I didn't know at the time when I first applied, when I was kind of just taking initial classes. So um, that's the next thing I wanted to talk about is what spe- specialization are you going for? You said school media. Yes. Uh, Angela, you're also going for school media. Is yes, that right? I so am. would you like to explain to our listeners what that specialization of, of library science is? Yes. So library school media specialist is a different degree than a library science um, 
degree. So they are at Queens College, they offer both. And so library media specialist is a different degree where you have to take certification classes as well. And you have to do school observations if you don't have prior experience as uh, if you don't have your teaching degree. It kind of varies a little bit. But for me personally, I had to do 100 hours of observation work, um, two elementary schools, a middle school and a high school. So 25 hours each. I completed that all last year. Um, that was attached to my classes. And then I'm going to have to do student teaching next year, which will be 20 days in elementary school and 20 days in high school. So that will be during my spring semester. Um, and then I'm going to have to take certification tests as well after I, fit, after I graduate. And because I already have the degree, um, I was able to kind of skip the observation hours because I already had experience as a, as a teacher in the classroom uh, and my certifications. So for my situation, I just had to do the days. Um, and, you know, it's a challenge um, a little bit. It was a, That was one of the things that I was a little bit um, hesitant about was finding time now. When I first did my student teaching, I did not have a family and I wasn't working as many hours. Um, but you make it work and it, and you find the time it works out. Um, you just got to be a little bit flexible and it may not look like what you think it's going to look like when you first do it. Uh, I did not expect that I would be doing student teaching in the summer. I was very fortunate. I was very lucky to find a placement to do my student teaching. I'm working with high school students in summer school and, uh, I had the opportunity came up for me to get my 20 days, um, working with that demographic, the older, the older students. And I jumped on it because, uh, anything that I can do to try to get what I need to get for the required classes in a perfect world. I'd be going every single day in the fall to, you know, elementary, middle school, and high school. But when you go for a second career as I have, you kind of have to be a little bit more flexible and you, and you make it work. Um, but I didn't want to let that stand in my way. And I've been doing it about halfway through and then come the fall, um, we'll see what's, what's what the fall, uh, the future has in store for me for the elementary placement for 20 days. There's a, a lot of requirements, and, and you have to hustle for a few years. There's no Absolutely. getting around that. Absolutely. Uh, and Angela say... spoke to the test, too. Like That's something yeah. that I always encourage uh, from someone who has their license. If, you, if you're going to pursue um, a degree in the school media section, um, one thing that I do uh, recommend is get the test done as early as you can. And Jill has already told me this, too. Yes, <laughs> I did. I did. Well, because... You're dealing with the state of New York with yeah. their education, and unfortunately, there's high volume. There are people from all over the state, not just Long Island, that are pursuing different degrees in education. And so you don't want that to be something that stands in your way mm-hmm. of you being able to get a position because they didn't get the scores and the timeline. So the earlier that you could take your tests, the better, because then that will the score will report, it'll be on your account, and you're good to go. And um, I had recommended to Angela, get the books. Yeah. Um, it made a big difference. Those tests, are they're all now on the computer. And back in the day, they were all written tests. Um, this time, they're on the computer, so you kind of have to have that ability, perseverance to kind of like get through the computer for about three and a half hours, maybe four hours, I think. Um, but the books helped because they prepare you for the types of questions. Similar, I, I heard to the civil service test of like scenarios. Okay. Yep. And then you, and then you do have to write, I think it's 90 questions and then you do have to write a, a short essay. Um, but the books helped because they prepare you for what to expect. The earlier, the better. Yeah. So you mentioned the civil service. That's I was going to talk about that a little bit later, but sure. we may as well talk about it now. So if anyone's 
interested in, in becoming a librarian. So obviously you have to get have a master's degree to work, at least in New York, you have to have a master's degree to be a librarian. And then it is a civil service job. So at Sayville, we're in Suffolk County. So you would have to take a librarian one. You would start out as exam from the Suffolk County Department of Civil Service. They offer it every two years. So when I graduated, unfortunately, I was on the off year. So I had to wait a whole year before I could even take the exam. Um, So that was unfortunate. And then the pandemic hit. So then that two years became three years. They pushed it back a year. So I had to wait another year before I could take the two exam, if I remember correctly. Um, But anyway, so yes, so you do have to take the exam. You get your score. You get ranked based on your score. And then as jobs open up in the county, they send them out to the top scorers and work their way down. So it is, uh, it's an evolved process. It's a slow process. Um, they're not the best process, <laughs> but uh, it works because there is a high volume. There's a lot of competition for jobs. Right. There are only so many libraries. And I think if I recall, the last time I took the one test, there was probably around 400 people who took it. Right. Um, and there's 40 libraries in Suffolk County. Right. And it's being a librarian is a job you can do until you right. are <laughs> horizontal. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so the the openings don't come around. Well, and I think it also often. speaks to the nature of the job is that when you're in that job, we spoke to this when we first started our, our podcast, is that a lot of these people are where they want to be. A lot of these people are very passionate. So. It doesn't necessarily feel like a traditional job because you love where you work. You love where you are. You love what you do. That's true. That's a good point. I mean, it's it's a dream job for a lot of people. So it's not like you have that end of sight where I can't wait till I retire with librarian. You don't really have that same feeling, that same sentiment because you like doing what you do. Yeah. And it's an, we're kind of getting off a little bit off topic, but it's a, it's a great job because it's always changing. So it's never a dull moment in a library. I mean, you might have an idea of what a library is like from watching movies or something where it's just a quiet place where people read. It's not. Every week I'm doing something new. Like when I started, when I went to grad school, I didn't think I'd be doing a podcast or running a makerspace. Like I didn't even know what a makerspace was when I went to grad school. But now I'm fixing 3D printers. Like I didn't think that would be a thing. Um, and that's become a major part of our curriculum yeah. as going for the school media, um, information literacy skills, research skills have, have always t- kind of been the tried and true thing that they stress in, in teaching how to be a school media librarian. But n- now the makerspaces, all those things, we are learning how to incorporate technology because like you said, the, the job's evolving, it's changing, and we need to be able to be fluid with that and, and keep up with it. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of what when you tell people that you're a librarian, there's half is like, oh, more than half, I would say, is like such a positive response. And then there's that small little population that's like, oh, isn't libraries going extinct extinct Mm -hmm. soon? Um, And it's, you come into the library and you see how many people are using it and you see how many people you interact with a day and how it's so much more than just books. Um, So that really speaks to... Yeah. what libraries are. And, and to that to that point, when people say about the library you know, going extinct, I like to think of us as we are the keepers of information and we our job is to help others find that information. And so the information may change format. We may not have VHS tapes or audio cassettes on the shelves anymore, but we are still 
the facilitators of how to help those those people find that information. So maybe it looks a little different, but our role is pretty much the same. It's stable as far as what, what we offer. So yes. Yeah, so I mean you work in tech services. So right. you're handling a lot of the um, you know the cataloging, the processing of all the materials that are coming in and out. I mean and you know better than anyone that our circulation of stuff coming in and out of the library has is not slowing down. Not at all. Especially, you know, as we're going further ahead, you know, it's just changing media. You know, we go from, like you said, VHS to DVD to Blu-ray. Now we have e-books and e-audio books that we're, we're putting out. We have video games now. Um, the Library of Things. Now we're physical objects you can check out of the library. So we're always adapting. And that's just one small part of what we do. That's that's putting aside the community outreach aspects, the social services we do, the programming. Angela, I know you do a lot of programming in the teen department. I do a lot of programming up here in the adult services department. There's never a dull moment. We're always adapting. Yes, it's definitely true. And I just got recently asked, like, what's the best part of your job being a teen librarian? And that's like, I'm thinking about it, and I do so many fun activities with the kids. A lot of my job is connecting with the kids, uh, building relationships, and doing programming. Like, um, we're doing our library lock-in next week, which is a five-hour program from 7 p.m. to 12 a.m., and we have 60 kids signed up. And we're going to be doing a Nerf gun war, a manhunt, um, mini golf, mini golf <laughs> a, a maze, and it's like that's what a library is like it's just very surprising of what I do daily in my job and even I'm doing an ice cream making class in August like it's very surprising what a lot like how it varies from what department you're in and what your job title is I actually I'm a children's trainee in another library and again you you wear so many hats I think one of my favorite parts of the job is to connect the children with the information when they come in and they're so passionate and they're looking for something and I find that for them but then I like to show them how to find that information so that they can have some autonomy in their searching skills and you know just the other day I saw a little girl came in and she said to her mom they have it she was so excited she squealed with delight she that they had the book that she was looking for and to me that that just makes your job like so worth it to see the children excited about you know finding what they want and to to be able to like help with that and support with that is such a beautiful thing so yes I, I agree like it's it's great um and I just talked about all the fun things I do but I also do other librarian tasks as well um ordering books and making lists of um bibliographies it's uh, so many different hats, what you just said, of what I do in a day and how every day is different. Yeah, it, you, if you're listening and you're interested in being a librarian, you should know it, you don't just read all day. Yes, like, <laughs> never read <laughs> at the desk. No, never. I, I've never, ever read <laughs> while at work, ever. Uh, I read at my lunch break. That's a, yeah. as close as I get to reading at work. Um, I wish I could just sit at the desk and read all day. But no, that's not the case at all. But yeah, like it, it's a great... It's a great job, and if you love learning, there's you're always learning new things. Um, with artificial intelligence, you know, on the horizon, I've been trying to teach myself how that all works, and then everything I learn, I turn around and I put it into a program so I can teach the patrons. So it's a great job if you love learning and um, 
if you're you're just interested in, in constantly adapting, it's it never gets boring. Absolutely, and I think I it, you know it speaks to our role, right? So if these things are coming out and the public will want to know how to use that, one of the things that I think we pride ourselves as being librarians is that we are there to be support, to be able to help people coming in, asking questions about how to use the technology, how to use a makerspace, what is the artificial intelligence. And so we have to proactively kind of be a couple steps ahead to learn how to interact with that information and then be able to provide it back to the general public. So we have to be very, you know, on top of what's coming out, what's changing in technology and yeah. Exactly. So I went to grad school a few years ago. Um, now media literacy is something that's talked about in the news all the time now, fake news, things like that. I went to school kind of during the last election when this started becoming like part of the headlines all the time. So I'm wondering, has that is that now part of like the core curriculum at... I know Absolutely. it's always been a part of like finding good resources for people, but at least when I went to school, there wasn't an emphasis so much on fake news and social media and that kind of stuff. So is that something they're talking about now in grad schools? Uh, Angela, I don't know if you've had the experience, but for me having to create lesson, lesson plans, like that is, that comes up all the time in in our curriculum and our coursework. It comes up a lot in the lesson plans that we're preparing when we're doing our student teaching, our observations as to how to, how do we teach um, the children, the students, how to recognize mis and disinformation. And um, really it's, our, our job and our role of teaching research skills has, has become even more intense because now we're teaching research skills, but we're also teaching them the higher order thinking of how to think objectively to say, is this a, is this a real source? Is this a biased source? So absolutely, it has definitely become a major part of, of my curriculum, and I'm sure Angela could speak more to that too. Yes, I have, um, well, my primary age group that I would like to work with is middle school. So that's what I mostly work with the, um, middle school right now. Um, so I have created lesson plans as well, targeted towards middle scores of confirmation bias and how to cite a source and just looking out for correct source, sources online. Because if you just Google something, um, there's so millions and billions, or I don't even know how much, of search results come up. And it's important to not just look on the first page, but to look around right. and... Yeah, we, I've done projects, multiple projects um, about media literacy. We, um, so one of the things that I've been learning a lot too in, in, in our coursework is um, how to implement the VRC, the Virtual Reference Collection, in districts. Um, so there have been, um, I've had opportunities to teach lessons where we're teaching the students how to act, interact with the VRC. So every school district on their library page um, has a link to how to log into the virtual reference. And our role is to teach them how to use each type of reference, a database, like you would almost see in like a college, uh, like an EBSCO and ERIC, but how to use those things to uh, create research, how to gather sources, um, how to use them to get the information that they need in their research or their lessons, whatever they need. Um, so that's a, a major role that we've also had um, was to teach them how to use that information and how to get reliable sources because the generation that we're working in, you know, with right now gets a lot of their information from social media and the influence of that as well as Google. I'll just use Google and nothing against Google, but if they're looking for scholarly research, 
um, a lot of times they don't have the skills. So that's something that we're definitely developing is teaching them the skill set as to how to use, uh, even if we're navigating Google, how to, like Angela said, scroll down, look for better mm-hmm. information, how to use the Booleans, how to use um, the advanced searches, as well as using real reference um, databases in the virtual reference collection, the VRCs. That's actually um, how to use the database and database, database management is actually the specialization that I went to school for. So I was not a school media um, librarian. I went, I, my degree was Masters of Library Information Science, which is like a subset of the library science where um, I was dealing more with information management, building databases, managing databases, the usability of databases and things like that. So I went to school for something totally different than public librarians. But um, yeah, that's a big part of it. And, you know, as the world gets more digital, it's just going to be a bigger part of it. So I'm glad they're teaching it to school, to kids. And, Uh, and, And I'll be completely honest with you. Full transparency, I really, looking back at my reference abilities as a undergrad student, as a grad student, um, I felt very anxious whenever I had to do research because I don't feel like those skills were really um, incorporated into instruction. And I feel that a lot of my peers, there was a deficit in how to do research, how to find accurate research, how to use Booleans, how to um, use limitations to get the research that you really needed. And it wasn't until I went to pursue this degree that I learned all about the information literacy skills and kind of felt like, wow, there was so much that I didn't really get. So it's really nice to see that the shift in education has been to support students. Um, you know, we were, I was going to school at the time where we were still using regular card catalogs and things like that and the evolution of that, but just doing research in general, that was a big deficit. And I think that's what contributed to a lot of my anxiety whenever I would have to do a research assignment. So I, I love that it's shifted to teach students how to use it and how to find that information. Cause I feel like that, that was definitely something that I never really got as a strong foundation when I was going. So the, the librarian role has really evolved to better support information, literacy, media literacy. Yeah. And it's going to keep evolving. I mean, you mentioned uh, teaching kids how to cite resources and now with, just because it's on the forefront of my mind with artificial intelligence and chat GPT and things like that, kids are starting to use this. They now have an app on on iPhones. You can just download the chat GPT app and start going. But the thing with uh, a lot of these artificial intelligence um, generators, they don't cite where they're getting the information from for legal reasons, because a lot of those places they're citing from don't want their information being uh, farmed for these artificial intelligence machines. But um, like, for instance, with chat GPT, you could ask it, you know, a question about the Civil War, and it'll give you an answer, and it might be accurate, but it's not telling you where it's getting the information from. So, can you even use that as a source? Well, I would say a teacher should probably say no, especially because they're starting the artificial intelligence is not always correct. Well, and so that's as a challenge uh, for us who are embarking as school media librarians, right? Um, We're hearing a lot of this as to how students are getting their information and using this for instruction. And it's it's moving at a very quick, fast-paced situation, and we're trying to keep up with understanding 
what you can do with it at the same time that students are using it. And so, um, you know, it's definitely um, going to be a little bit of a learning curve, just like when social media kind of exploded and we saw the influx of the TikTok and Instagram and how they were getting their information from that way. It's the same thing. It's going to take us, I think, a few years to find our sweet spot as to how we can utilize this as in the best possible way in good situations. Um, but right now we're still kind of in that testing zone of who's using what, how are they using it, and how can we support them to use it in a positive way and not just be careful. You have to be careful of plagiarism and finding it. Honestly, I'm interested in seeing how schools will handle the chat GPT um, this upcoming school year um, because it has really boomed like in the past few months. <laughs> but I just, I'm not sure if this is true. You can fact check me on this, but I just saw something that Microsoft Word is now going to include an um, chat. Oh, actually, I forget what it was. It's an artificial intelligence feature on Microsoft Word. So yeah. students could easily, even anyone could easily. I'm not surprised because Google Docs is already doing yes. that. I know Google has. I know Google's like right there. They're almost ready. And I don't know if you've seen this as well, but um, I've seen it in my syllabus about discouraging the use of it. Oh, no, I have yep. myself. From the school, in, in my school, pursuing my degree, I've seen it in the classes where the teachers have actually said, this is not permitted, do not even try, <laughs> um, because I guess people this, Yeah, are, this is not unique to middle school. Yes, exactly. Yes, yeah. yeah. Even at the graduate level, right. they're worried about it, so... I would imagine it's it's easier to catch in, at an earlier age because oh, yeah. the grammar the, you know the grammar is perfect yeah. the sentence right. structure is perfect so Absolutely. you know a middle schooler is not going to be writing like that so it's easy right. to flag whereas an adult might get the information change a word here or there exactly. and then yeah. be able to use it but you know we have to as librarians really stress the importance of finding the information on their own. Can we use this as a source, as a, as a tool? Absolutely. But I think we're also still figuring that out, um, how to use that, how to incorporate that. But we also have to still teach those the ability for them to find the research because there's limitations to it. You know, And so um, it's, it shouldn't be the end-all, be-all as to the way that they find information. So we still need to stress the importance of um, having strong information literacy skills. I just saw that there's a few... Um... It was um, something about journalists and that they are pitching using AI to replace journalists. Mm. So I'm definitely, I think library media specialists will have a lot to do with that because that's just biased AI information. It's not coming from a person. Yeah. Well, it's just regurgitating, you know, stuff that's already been written. I I don't think AI, at least now, is capable of producing unique journalism Mm -hmm. you know you still need a journalist to go out and do research on their own but ai could easily take an article and rephrase it and then repost it with a new title which is probably most of what the internet is nowadays anyways it's just the same idea just being rephrased and (laughs) repurposed to angela's point ai is uh kind of systemically infiltrating a lot of industries and i think we're about we're we're on the cusp right now we haven't really seen what's to come but writers, actors, Mm -hmm. journalists, the librarian, all of these, um, you know, types of um, jobs uh, that are being impacted by it. So we we shall see. I I don't think that there's, I don't think it's all bad, but I think we just have to kind of know how to. Yeah. My take on it is it's a tool like anything else. And as a librarian, we can't be afraid of it. We need to wrap our hands around it, wrestle with it and find out where we can use it. And, and where we shouldn't be using it. Right. 
And I, I think in a year, two years, you'll see AI in the library helping with Reader's Advisory, um, helping you know, in a myriad of ways. I need and helping with social services even, you know. I, you can ask it a question and it will direct you to, uh, to a social services department that can help with that issue, right. you know. Um, I, but the day-to-day -day work of a librarian, I don't think will be entirely, could ever be really entirely well, replaced. Yeah. You can never replace the heart. And you can never replace the, the empathy and also the creativity. So And how it's such a community, too. Right? Like the amount of teens that I talk to a day, AI is not going to replace me with talking, having an emotional connection with a teen exactly. um, and actually understanding how what they're going through. Um, so it's just definitely in that way and in programming, too. Well, I mean, I can't say they can't because anything is possible. <laughs> um, but it's all been like, when the internet came out, it didn't replace libraries. Yeah. It, it freed up librarians to do other things. Right. It took a lot of the uh, you know, labor-intensive research that we'd have to do to like go to the reference mm -hmm. section and find out what the capital of Panama was. Mm -hmm. you know, that is now instantaneous. It gives us more times to develop programs, right. to develop outreach program you know to do all sorts of new things so yeah i think it's just going to let us to evolve right and i think that for for those that are looking to pursue a degree as a librarian i think that my biggest piece of advice would be to come in and talk to a librarian and get to know really what the role entails and um how our job is ever changing because um i like angela spoke earlier about how people think that they know what we do um but we are ever evolving to keep up with the information um in the past 30 years how quickly that's changed information and the way we access it so i would always encourage anybody that's interested in pursuing this type of degree to come in and, and talk to us and see what it looks like. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure, Angela, working in teen department, you've probably spoken to some <laughs> teens who are, don't know where to go next after high school. Yeah. I've certainly spoken to a number of, of people in their undergrad school who are wanted to know what being a librarian is like. And, you know, I'll tell them the good, the bad. It's mostly good. But, yeah. uh, you know, I'll, I'll, be re I'll be real with you, you know. So, yeah, reach out. My email's in every episode description, so feel free to reach out to me. I'll, I'll pass it along. I mean, I know from personal experience. I've, I've, I've come to you, Angela, for help yeah. with things. I've come to you, Alex, with help, you know, for things, researched. So, yeah. Great. Do you have any advice? This is a good sentiment, I think, to, uh, to end this segment on. Yeah. I'm, I meant to say this before when, when you were, uh, when Joe was talking about her experience, um, but I just have so much, I give so much credit towards, um, parents who are going back to school adults that are going back to school i took that one semester off and i was like i never want to go back to school again school is it's very stressful it's, it's a lot it's uh, it's always has the added element of, on top of working so i give so much credit to adults that go back to school and uh, there's people in my classes in their 40s 50s and they come in and they say oh this is my first graduate course I'm very very scared like I haven't been in school in 30 years but so I give so much credit and I was fresh out of college, undergraduate when I went to graduate school so I kind of it was more of an ease for me but I can definitely see how hard it would be to go back to school thank you <laughs> so but it's never too late no nope. no it's never too late <laughs> no nope. 
I took almost eight years in between my undergrad and my grad. I was very rusty in academia, <laughs> but uh, you pick it up quickly. And I did my whole grad school on a Chrome, on a two hundred dollar Chromebook. So Same. You don't. Yep, absolutely. You don't need to be a tech whiz. Nope. You can do it. And even if you don't have a laptop, you can go to your local library. Well, that's what I was going to say. There's been many times where I've brought my laptop here or I've borrowed from you, Alex, to mm-hmm. do some stuff um, in one of the quiet rooms. So, you know, you make it work. Yeah. So let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to do, we're going to change topics entirely. We're going to be uh, talking about what we're into right now. All right, we are back. So let's end the episode with uh, talking a little bit about what we're into. So I like to include this segment because we get to learn a little bit more about the staff that works at Save a Library, and we've learned some pretty interesting things. Um, So do either of you want to start, go first? Yeah, I'll start. Um, So... I recently signed up for the Sable Summer Running Series, so it's six 5Ks during the summer, so I just finished up my fifth one last weekend, and so I have a, the sixth one in a few weeks, and that was definitely a challenge for me. It was my first 5K. I do run regularly, but I'm usually like a one mile and, yeah. and done, <laughs> um, so that has been something I've been doing the past like, two months. So it's wow. been a challenge, but it's yeah, rewarding. This summer of all summers, yeah. it seems like... <laughs> Very unu- hot, like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, this has been a tough summer to get started. Yes, there was one on the 4th of July, and I did not do good on that one. It was so hot and humid, and there was no shade. And so I ran a mile and a half, and then I just walked the entire thing after. <laughs> yeah, I feel like just stepping outside is, is a challenge this summer, let alone running, what is 5K, like almost... It's three point one miles. miles. Yeah, okay, three point one. Yeah, that's good for you. (laughs) I give you so much credit. (laughs) I haven't. I ran an entire one. Like I haven't stopped for one of them, but I have had to take breaks. Do they have water stations? I hope like along the way. I carry my own water, so because I like to hydrate. Yeah, (laughs) good for you. That's, Thank you. That's very impressive. <laughs> I should not have gone second. Oh, no, no. <laughs> um, I, I just love art so much, and I love to read. So now with schoolwork and the demand of like all the reading that we have to do for, for school, um, I've been just reading as much as I can uh, audiobooks to try and get it in uh, wherever I can and uh, in the car or wherever. Um, so that's how I can still get my, my reading habit in, which is, is good and uh, different. You know, it's a different type of reading, but... I'll take whatever I can get. And art. I just, I love to do art. Uh, I love to do um, all different types, pen and ink, watercolor. I like to create earthworks using materials I find, like shells and driftwood. And um, I do macrame with those. Um, So yeah, so I love to to do that. Any type of craft or art, I love to get into. And um, whenever I can, I'm craving it now because I'm going for summer classes, but I'll be done soon. And uh, I already have some ideas of things I want to do. And let's just do I love to be out in nature and get inspiration from what I see and uh, do that kind of stuff with my children and have them do art and just make a mess paint and do whatever so that's yeah. great thanks oh. <laughs> that's awesome I didn't know that about you and yes. I think it's always a plus when you're crafty and you're a children's or a teenager yes or creative, creative. <laughs> I love it we actually did in one of my other libraries we did a, uh, a program called earthworks um, where I read some beautiful books about um, art in nature and um, and we gathered supplies. I had gathered some um, 
beautiful pressed flowers, some pressed ferns and leaves. Uh, I had cut up some pine cones and seashells and feathers. And uh, I said to the children in the program, um, you can create something abstract or you can create something that was representative, whatever you want to do. Um, and the kids had such a blast. They made beautiful pieces of artwork. We used tacky glue to tap it, tack it down. Um, we used a... Um, canvas that we flipped so we had the natural frame so it was kind of like almost like a shadow box and uh, I just you know I'm all about sustainability just like our library and all about like nature and reusing and stuff like that so uh, the kids had a blast creative art out of materials they find in nature that's great so thanks thank you Uh, So the thing that I'm into right now is a book I just finished. Um, It's called Monsters, A Fan's Dilemma by Claire Detterer. Have either of you heard of this book? No. Um, I was attracted to it initially by the cover. It's, I think, a photo of Pablo Picasso, but he has like a bull head. He's wearing like a bull head. Um, So the book is, it's not a happy subject. It's about... um, Basically, it's about artists who uh, do something reprehensible and it forever stain their legacy, basically. So it's sort of about kind of cancel culture, but it's from the fans' perspective. So it's about it's how does a how does a fan of that subject grapple with that happening? So I'm it's, interested in that actually. Yeah, it's a fantastic book. It's going to when I talk about my favorite books of the year, this is definitely going to be in in the top three or so like it, it it's an interesting i mean it's a very topical subject matter unfortunately very relatable yeah absolutely. um i hope it's not relatable no relatable <laughs> to i mean to our times i mean no, it just I goes to show yeah. yeah that like even artists that you know however many years ago and we're still kind of the fans of like you right. said the cancel and yeah when you're a fan of someone that you love so much and then you find out the horrible things that right. yeah yeah it's an interesting this book's very interesting because um it's something that that we talk a lot about but we don't no one's really digging into it especially what it's doing to the fans of the artist a lot of the discussion is about how monstrous the person the subject is and not about the the fans the people who appreciate the work so it's a very interesting book i i have in front of me a page of notes i took that i'm not going to go through right now because this episode would go another hour um but it's it's if you are interested in this or um i've mentioned pablo picasso but she also talks about um roman polanski jk rowling hemingway kevin spacey sure michael jackson michael jackson she mentions all of these yeah and the book is interesting because she doesn't dwell on what they did she dwells on how society kind of the the backlash of society and and the more yeah exactly so you know part of what she talks about is you know we create these parasocial relationships with the artists so when we find out they've done something reprehensible you know it's kind of it affects us because we feel betrayed by the artist and another one of her her points is that we we, as consumers, we sort of define ourselves by the things that we follow and the things that we like. Mm-hmm. So when something like this happens, you know, it's all of a sudden it's turned back on us, the consumer that says, you know, what does that say about us that we liked this thing that is made by a terrible person? So it's it's a lot about, you know, that and how, how this exposure, you know, causes us to have to do some self-reflection. Um, and, you know, because a lot of us have 
one thing she talks about, Claire Detterer talks about in the book is a lot of us have, you know, feelings about this subject, but we don't like stop and think about it that much. So this book is really like focusing on that, like on like the nitty, like what does it actually mean to grapple with like the art? You know, I don't know. It's, it goes into, it's not just a very, it's not like the surface conversation. I don't know. It was very interesting because she brings up a lot of points that I, I never, you know, really stopped and, and thought about. Like, for instance, does the work the artist did before they committed the act, is that tainted as well? Uh, you know, if you're not financially supporting the artist, are you? can you still enjoy the work? Like, for instance, if you get it from a library or if you steal the artwork, are you? can you still enjoy it or are you still helping you know or even is it even a problem to support the artist is it okay to say that you still like the music the art of the artist you know and um you know it's a great book because the author herself admits that she still likes roman polanski movies and she still likes woody allen movies and she still dances when a michael jackson song comes on so it's a it's a very it's almost like a memoir of her grappling with these own things as well as also you know talking bringing up the subject and uh and bringing some some points to reflect on so uh, i'm just looking at my notes here right now to see if there's anything i'm very interested and i would really love to read that because uh i've definitely um those thoughts have definitely crossed my mind especially as you know in recent years where things have come out and you hear about celebrities and things like that are not aligned with your values and your beliefs and it's kind of been very shocking and then you you you're left with well can i still like them what if i do still like them what do i do and it's it's yeah, definitely that's something she back mentions and forth too is like is liking a piece of art a moral or ethical choice or can you like art without making a moral or ethical stance and that that's sort of where she gets into like the cancel culture part of it where she's like you know if you don't denounce the artists, like all of us, you're not a, considered an ally with the cause. So, so I don't know. It's a very interesting topic, and I, I definitely recommend everyone should read this if they if they are if they do have thoughts or, or feel conflicted about one artist or another. I think this will help you grapple with those questions a little bit. And there's no she doesn't come to like a definitive conclusion on one way or the other, but I think it'll help you reach your conclusion whatever suits you best so i don't know i highly recommend it uh the book again is called monsters a fan's dilemma by claire detterer and i think it's going to be very popular so put a hold on i am going to i am definitely going to put a hold on that right after we're done right after we wrap (laughs) all right so i'm sorry i had to end the episode on another downer note i feel like that's par for the course for this i always bring up something well no i think if we end the episode in a positive, we'll look at the silver lining is that within that book, you can do self-reflection and within the library, that's always our goal is to look at things from different viewpoints, find information and, you know, reflect on that. So try and turn the silver lining on that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you both for uh, joining me. I hope your first podcast wasn't uh, painful and I hope you can come back again for a future episode. Thank Maybe we can so talk about something, us. uh, Something fun. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Thanks. Bye, everybody. Bye.